Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast may contain coarse language and descriptions of violence which may not be suitable to all audiences. Welcome to the Soldier On podcast. I'm Hugh Rimminton. In this series, we'll be exploring the stories that highlight, celebrate and connect our veteran community. Today's episode is a conversation between two Australian comedians, Anthony Lehman, otherwise known as Limo, and Adam Rosenbach, otherwise known as Rosie. Every so often, Australia sends over some of our biggest names in entertainment to entertain our troops out on deployment. This is a gig that both Limo and Rosie are very familiar with, and both hold with great reverence. So, Lames, you went over on tour before I did. I got in it through you. How did you first come about being uh, asked to do a tour for the troops over in um, Afghanistan and Iraq? Yeah, I received an email in 2005. Classified? Classified email Good. from Artie Lang at A-List Entertainment. And Artie said to me, hey, would you have any interest in going to the Middle East to yeah. do shows for the troops? And, I was, and A-List doesn't stand for Afghanistan list. No, no. No, that's, yeah. no, that's, not, yep. that's not a watch list of any sort. <laughs> I said yes initially because it just sounded like a really cool adventure. Absolutely. And something different. Yep. Even though, and I knew there was a war on, obviously. Uh, but I thought this would be a really cool adventure. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't have much of a view one way or the other as regards our troops at yep. the time. Yep. I was kind of ambivalent. Ambivalent. You know what? I suppose because you're probably what, in your early 30s, you're more worried about what's going on at a nightclub on the weekend than what's happening yes, over there. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was way more concerned with that. Having said that, I did march. I marched in the Peace March in London where a million people marched the streets of London. Yeah, right. Before, this is in about February 2003. Yep. While you t- got it to a million. It was 999,000. Oh, exactly. <laughs> me, me and my mate got it over the line. It would have been a very weird 999,999 person march without us. So I was always kind of invested, but from a lefty 
yeah. peacenik yep. point of view, yep. you know. Anyway, this sounded like a great adventure, so I thought I'm going to jump on board. It t- Later on, it turned out that I wasn't the first comedian asked. A number had been asked and they'd all said no. Is that right? Because they were scared or had a political view that didn't fit. Yeah, which right. Are, which, or, or, or they'd watch the news. Or, or they'd watch the yeah, news. Yeah, they saw how hot things were in Baghdad because your first trip was to Baghdad, wasn't it? Yeah, so I said yes and uh, my first trip was to Baghdad. And we flew into Kuwait, first of all, okay. Kuwait City, and then we travelled out into the desert to the base. So my very first introduction to our troops, mm. we were in a bus and we're driving through the Kuwaiti desert away from Kuwait City but towards the base and then in the distance – there, through the shimmer of the desert, I saw the golden arches. And I said to someone, is that a Macca's sign? And they're like, oh, yeah, wherever there's an American army base, mm. there's Macca's. And then we get out there and sure enough, there's the base and it is – and you've seen them. Yeah. They're full of Burger King, KFC. McDonald's, KFC. Subway. Subway. Uh, Gloria Jean's Coffee. Yeah. Uh, what's the other massive coffee? Starbucks. Uh, uh, Starbucks yeah. as well. All on these American Army bases. It's amazing to well, see. Well, the incredible thing, and we'll come back to, you know, being over there for the first time, but when we when I first went to Kandahar and there was a place called The Boardwalk, which had yes. all of those restaurants on them and you would walk along like you were seaside <laughs> yes. in some, you know, American, like, city yeah. And all these places with a nice, you know, uh, wooden built boardwalk that you would stroll along. It was a beautiful boardwalk. Yes. And you and would have had lunch at TGI Fridays. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the boardwalk. And yeah. people were playing volleyball out the front of it. Yes. Yes, they had the, the courts there. Mate, that was one of my favourite days ever uh, of all the trips I've done. It was in, we'll get back to Iraq and say it was in yep. Kandahar. So in this boardwalk, well, would you say it's about a sort of 80 to 100 square metres? Yeah, yeah, around it's pretty, it pretty massive. You know, seventy or eighty meter sections of board, yep. and you can buy sort of local produce as well. You can get rugs and stuff or yep. whatever, trinkets, shishas, shishas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Afghan bits and pieces. Yeah, we were out there one day, and we were playing cricket. Myself, Charlie Pickering, and Adrian Brown were playing yep. cricket with some Afghan kids. Yep. All right. There were Americans playing baseball or softball. Yep. There were. Um, some English dudes uh, playing soccer. Yeah. There was a touch rugby game happening with some Australians. There were Kiwis playing netball. There were two Americans fly fishing in the dust, which I found weird, but apparently that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there were Canadians playing ice hockey because I don't know if you remember, there was a slab of cement. Yes, I do. Uh, and the yeah. ice hockey, the Canadians were playing ice hockey on a slab of cement. And we were just looking around thinking, and the sun was out. It was a beautiful day. Yeah. And I remember talking to Aidy and uh, Charlie and just going, this is amazing. We're in Kandahar and as mm. we're all this is happening in the distance, because that's a massive airfield yeah. at Kandahar, Black Hawk choppers are just up and you see them rise up kind of over the boardwalk and then off they go to battle while this merriment is happening in the boardwalk. Well, so when when I was at the boardwalk, so that was 2014, I think I was there, it had been under rocket attack like not long before, so it wasn't yeah. in as good nick as probably what you saw it. So, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, no, it was in it was in ripping nick. Yeah, okay. So I'll ask you this. Before you went, uh, what idea did you have that you were going to be in? For me, when I was told oh, yeah. that I was going, yeah. in your head it's just mash. So you think yeah. it's just going to be tense? <laughs> Because that's all you kind of know of, you know, a war as a kid and growing up, that's all you see. 
I I really didn't know what to expect, but yep. I was I know that when I got to Kuwait and we were flying from Kuwait into Iraq. Yep. So this is my first entry in my life into a war zone. Yeah. I started You'd getting hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started getting really anxious. And I started getting scared. Yeah, yeah. Right before we flew into Iraq, you realize once you've been a few times that it's you're probably at more risk crossing the street in, you know, Burke Street, Melbourne. Yeah. Than you are, unless you're actually out in a combat. But oh, but there's, there's something about it though, because before you go, they run you through all those safety briefs. Oh yeah, they freak you out. Yeah, they do, and they're like, you know, if the plane goes down, we've got to have you know covering fire off the back of it. You guys don't worry about it, but this is what'll happen. And then so when you're coming into land, is the first time that you've got to put because you come from safe airspace into the war zone, and that when you're about to come into land is when they tell you to put your body armor and your helmets on, mm. and that's when it becomes very real for you. Yeah, we're coming in somewhere hot now. Yes, and that's that. That's when I reckon for me was like the first anxiety because we landed in Kandahar mm. and that's where the Af- uh, Taliban had their last stand. So that's right. where the airport is and like the terminal has just been bombed back to. But it's full of bullet holes. Yeah, the terminal From the Taliban's last a, stand. There's yeah. a hole in the roof from a bomb. And when you see that, you're like, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. Well, we when we flew into Iraq, I was up the front with the pilots on the C-130 because yep. they let you as a performer yep. go and sit like in the jump seat. How amazing is that? Which is amazing. Yeah. So you were these pilots who I swear looked about 19 years old each. Yeah. The but, one thing I took out of being in the cockpit is, you know how when you're on a commercial plane, they're always like, oh, turn your phones off, it'll it'll oh, yeah, mess yeah, up yeah. the um, you know, the electronics yeah. and stuff. When you get into the cockpit and you see a microwave oven sitting there and you're like, I reckon that's going to do a bit of damage. <laughs> so not- I think we're going to be okay playing Candy Crush up the back. <laughs> they're heating up sausage rolls yeah, while they're yeah. flying into Iraq. <laughs> um, so we crossed the border and the guy goes, yeah, we've crossed the border now into Iraq. And I just started getting a little, okay, but what made it worse is because I've got the headphones on, so I'm hearing all that conversations. Yeah, yeah. So they, as pilots, are on high alert. So everything looks sus. They're checking on it. So they go something like um, truck parked, uh, side of road, south of uh, bridge at blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and then back, uh, no intelligence on that. And they go, okay, truck parked here. And then they're just checking all this stuff yeah. out. And I'm like going, is this all shit that's <laughs> going to shoot at us? Uh, but it was all fine. And then we landed in southwestern Iraq to drive down to um, – oh, the, the green just, zone? No, no, no. We were way out in, in the middle of nowhere in Iraq. Oh, okay. And we were flying down to a base – and we had to drive for an hour and a half from this airfield through, like, desert. And I was like, is this – I feel like we're kind of exposed out here. Because you're really exposed. Because you're really exposed. And we were in a Bushmaster and we're all jammed in the back. Yeah, explain a Bushmaster quickly. So a Bushmaster is like an Australian invention uh, and it's a brilliant modern – it's not a tank, but it's a sort of a truck – Transport vehicle, but also a fighting vehicle. Yes. So it's got its seats about in the back along each wall, about six or seven people facing each other. Yeah. It's got two gun turrets yeah. uh, where people stand out the top. Uh, and you've got, of course, your driver and your navigator in the front. And the big thing about it is it's got a V-shaped hull, which was an Australian design, which would yes. throw an IED blast out to the sides rather than the American Humvees, which would just pop up into the air and blow them up. And blow it straight up. Which, yeah. So it's a, the Bushmasters are brilliant. And when bit. you say six to seven in the back, it's tight in the back. Oh, yeah, it's six. tight. And you've got body armour on and yeah. you're jammed in. And yeah. that 
is the most anxious I've ever been. Because you can't see a lot out of it, can you? You can't see out of it and you're just going, well, we're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We're so exposed. Yeah. And one of the guys had said to me beforehand, because I was saying to him, are we, are we all right? He goes, ah, we're fine, mate. He goes, uh, we've got an Australian flag up. They love us. Well, interesting thing, he said, because they the Aussies were all about hearts and minds. Yep. You win the hearts and minds of the locals, yep. you win the war, right? And, you know, and I love that approach that the Aussies had. But they would go out and meet with tribes, tribal leaders out there in Iraq, and they would say, your forefathers were here, uh, came through here during World War II, and they treated us with respect, so we're going to treat you with respect. And I love yeah, that. Right. I love that story. That yeah, yeah. The, the deeds of Australian soldiers sixty years earlier meant that our today's Australian soldiers were getting clear passage through this area. Yeah. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, so the Americans had reported some issues through that area because they didn't give them the same yep. freedom of passage that they gave the Australians, all thanks to how they were treated by Aussie troops 60 years earlier. I reckon that was the one thing that I kind of picked up when you were over there is the um, the sort of reverence that they have to, you know, troops gone past, diggers, yes. gone, diggers gone by and the history of the Australian Absolutely. army and the way they've yeah. been treated around the world and how we are very highly respected. From everyone. Absolutely, yeah. Australian troops are very highly regarded yeah. uh, everywhere as being super professional, really proficient and very, very good at their job. They'd always be very happy to have an Aussie in the trenches yes. with them, anyone from anywhere. And I always used to think, you know, because I'd hear lots of Aussie troops making jokes about the Americans. Ah, the American, bloody yeah. gun-ho, bloody this and that. It's But it's funny, but when you get to the top – your elite soldiers, the SAS, who deal with the elite Americans, the SAS soldiers I've spoken to have gone, oh, no, they're really good. Yeah, right. They're great. Yeah, they know okay. what they're doing yeah. and we've got heaps of respect for them. Yeah, okay. So if, once you get to that level, it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, we're, we're massive units together. So what was your first trip into Baghdad like? So we- Because that was pretty hot back then. It was, yeah. So what happened, myself, Angry Anderson and Becky Cole- Flew on a British Merlin chopper into Basra mm-hmm. to do one show yep. in Basra. So we chop it into Basra. And I remember it was Christmas Eve. And I know it's actually it was Christmas Day. It was Christmas Day. And we're getting picked up. All the British troops on the Merlin chopper well, had like Christmas hats and a couple had Santa beards on, yeah. right? And I'm like, 
I know it's Christmas Day, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure the enemy doesn't observe yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah. and we're still in a war zone. Yeah. So they were all really chill, doing mm. a ho, 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 don't forget your helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and then we flew into Basra. We did a show for the British troops, but then we got rained in. So we had to stay the night Yep. Uh, there. So we spent the night. So the British troops gave us presents and I remember – they gave me the. They gave me three things. I can't remember the other two, but they gave me hand warming gel. That was one of them because oh, okay. they just yeah, basically right. went into their kits and yeah, they went, "What great. can we give them?" <laughs> uh, here's hand warming gel. Great. There's some biscuits and, yeah. and something else. So we stayed the night with them. So then, instead of going back to that base in southern Iraq, we flew myself, Becky Cole, and Angry Anderson flew direct into Baghdad, and we met the others there. Okay. But we landed in Baghdad, and they did a tactical flying going in. Yep. As you know, so tactical flying is where you either come in really high and then you basically pin drop to the airport straight down or you come in really low and you vary your attitude to try and avoid Being any radar to. locks yeah. from an enemy yeah. position or enemy fire or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if we got locked onto flying in. We got locked onto flying out. Did you? Yeah. How did you know that? Because they told us afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not not during. But flight. also, not you see, wasn't like ho ho ho. What yeah. about to- <laughs> <laughs> but also, you see flares flying out the side of the thing. You go, why are there flares coming out the side of this plane? Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, we flew in and we got met, and they had the we were being picked up by Aslab. So this is Australian light armored vehicle. So this is more like a tank. Yeah. This is a real fighting machine. This is a hundred percent fighting machine. And the guy, so it's me, Angry Anderson, Becky Cole, and two members of the Australian Navy band. Right. We're getting into the back of an Aslav. And the guy doing the briefing goes for the stuff and he goes, right now, if I'm incapacitated and he's incapacitated, pointing to the driver, and he goes, and if the other gunner's incapacitated, you two are in charge. And he points to the two guys in the Navy band. <laughs> and Angry Anderson goes, dude, that's the lead singer and the guitar player. Can I have a gun? <laughs> no, Angry. No, Mr. Anderson, you can't have a gun. So, all right, we're all very serious here. So then we um, – they said uh, if the vehicle's incapacitated, just wait and someone will come and open the back door of the vehicle to get you out and then yep. follow their instructions yep, as to yep. where to run when yeah, you come okay. out. So what if, though, what if that person's incapacitated? Someone will come to the back door and let you out, sir. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, all right, okay, yeah, I'll yeah. stop asking questions. And that was one where we couldn't see outside. So we did the whole drive down Route Irish yep. where 50 people a month were getting killed on that road at yep. the time. That was the road from the airport into the green zone. And we couldn't see outside, so we spent the whole time sitting inside just imagining what was happening. How long's the drive? About 35, 40 minutes okay. from memory. Yeah, right. And you're just sitting there going, 50 people a month get killed on this road. <laughs> Wonder how we're going to go. Yeah. But they do it. Con- they do a convoy. and yeah. The big thing is don't stop because as soon as you stop, you're a sitting target. Yeah. So they showed me videos later on the oh, trip of the trip Yeah. because they film everything. Well, that's the one thing that I noticed is how uh, casual they become because they become desensitised to it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they GoPro everything that they do. Put it to music. Yeah, yeah, and they're just really like, oh, check this out. And you're a bit like, wow. Like you yeah. got, it gave you an appreciation for, one, what they do, and, two, just the, the level that they operate at that we just can't – you just can't Mate, appreciate back here. But also when we say all this stuff, you've got to remember that these guys, for the large part, are in their early 20s. Yeah. Like they are doing shit that I could not have conceived of mm. at that age. Yeah. So they show me the video from the airport into the green zone. The car vehicle can't stop. The Aslav can't stop. 
Man, they are mountain curbs. They are going on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, They're right. going straight through roundabouts. They're losing and lots it's of like, di- And around, it's just like normal traffic. People driving to work. Yeah, yeah. It's like accountants heading to the office, and here comes an Aslav straight at you. They're losing <laughs> demerit points left, right, and centre. <laughs> Go, mate, can you take my points? I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose my licence. And you have moments, don't you, Rosie, where you just your respect for them goes through the roof when you start to understand – I mean, when we do these trips, you get to see the sacrifice. Yes. Because they live in shit conditions. Mate, uh, that, shit conditions. So when I asked about what you thought it was going to be like, you know, the tents and stuff, they live in – so imagine you walking past a building site and you see those kind of uh, huts, the portables, that they might use as a site shed. They yep. live in those, particularly in Baghdad. Yeah. They live in those for 10 months of the year and they are terrible. Yeah. Like we stayed in one for, what, three nights when we were there? And yeah. the mattresses were like oh, like homeless people would have gone, I'm not staying on that. It's seriously gross. It really is, it's isn't it? It's seriously gross. Yeah. And so they live in that condition and just the one to live in that for 10 months, they're away from their families and all they do is live and breathe their jobs. You know, they basically yeah. work a big 10-hour shift, they knock off, they go to the gym, they play, you know, games. Cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're gamers. They play FIFA or FIFA, whatever it is they're playing. Yeah, yeah, and then sleep and then go back and repeat for 10 months. And you're just like, that is a massive sacrifice that you're very appreciative when you see it. Oh, yeah. And in, in Tarrant the dust in that place, yeah. I was in Tarrant for a week, you're still getting dust out of your hair and your ears and your nose two weeks after you get back. Imagine being there for six months. Oh, mate. And patro- out on patrol as yeah. well, the whole yeah. thing. But in Tarrant I was talking to this young soldier and he was just a good kid. He was 22. Mm. Good lad. We had a good chat. We're having a dart together, you know. And then he walks off and another guy walks up and he goes, oh, how'd you go with the old mate there? I said, yeah, he seems like a good kid. He goes, he's about to get commended for a bravery award. I said, oh, what happened? He was leading a group of, I think, a dozen men on patrol, they had a contact with the Taliban. One of their guys got hit. So he, as a 22-year-old, controls the troops, positions them, yeah. enters into a contact with the Taliban, also keeping his guy alive who's been hit, right? And he's moving, and all this is on camera, right, because they have cameras on their yeah. helmets. So he's moving his troops. He's motivating his troops. He's fixing his troops, helping his troops fix stuck weapons, yep. keeping a bloke alive. And this goes on for I think it was like two and a half hours or something. Yeah, wow. And he'd have guys exhausted, go, I can't do it, and he'd be in their face motivating them, making them reload, engaging in the battle again, and they fought off the Taliban, and he got that bloke back to the base and saved his life, and that guy's 22. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously. I wasn't doing that. I was, I, no. I couldn't decide when to go to the shops <laughs> when I was 22. <laughs> the other thing you realise when you're there is the, um, is not even uh, when they're out in contact like that, but just because yeah. uh, you're surrounded, particularly in Afghanistan, most of the bases are surrounded by mountains. So there's a threat of rocket attack. Yes. And that is round the clock. Yeah. And yeah. so they tell you when you're there that if a rocket comes in uh, from the mountains and you've got like eight seconds to either get on the ground or into a bomb shelter. But if you don't, they're like, make sure your feet are facing the mountains because we prefer your feet were blown off and not your head. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so that kind of stuff, but that is 24-7. Like, you, but you were in a rocket attack, weren't you? Yeah, on the base in Kabul. So we'd finish the gig and uh, I'd finish my spot and, you know, obviously did really well. Yeah. And <laughs> there was a band on stage and then the music cut out and I was standing up the back. We are in this massive tent mm. and 
I thought, oh, third world country, the electricity's probably dropped out or whatever. And then everyone just started screaming rocket attack. And so they tell you to hit the ground and I thought, oh, maybe that's what they just tell us civilians, you know, just to spook us a little bit. Yeah. And then I saw the SAS hit the ground. I'm like, oh, maybe I will get in the ground. <laughs> and just the fear, that absolute and utter just yeah. mortal terror that I was in when I was on the ground. I got my hands on my head because, uh, you know, rockets don't go through hands. And you just go on. <laughs> this is the most terrifying moment of my life. It's what we what was going through your head in that moment. You you really want to know? Because you yeah. know people go, oh, you know, it's the your life flashes before yeah, your eyes. Yeah, no, yeah. it was just like you brought yourself here. <laughs> this is your fault. You had to be a hero. You wanted to come over. <laughs> what, a, what a great way to go out! <laughs> exactly, just chastising yeah, yourself. Yeah. This negative self talk. You're self-talk. a loser. Yeah, you idiot. deserve this. Yeah. You know, in those moments where you people like you and me just shit ourselves. Absolutely. And freeze, yes. Yes. They have this ability to just process every single moment and uh, permutation mm. really succinctly. We, I was in a bush ranger going through Kabul yep. and I was sitting next to a gunner. So his legs, as I'm sitting down, his legs are next to me and his hips are at about my head height and he's standing out of the gun yep. turret or the gun hole in the Bushmaster, right? And it's a normal day. In yeah, Kabul, yeah. just traffic cruising around. They were doing nothing. Kids going to school, whatever. Anyway, a white Toyota Corolla, which if you go to Kabul is nearly every car in Kabul, <laughs> pulls up next and almost leaning on the Bushmaster. Yeah, right. So it could have two hundred kilos of bomb. Yeah, in yeah. the back, right. And this guy's at the top, so he's. So this is his job now. It's got to process really we're doing, quickly. We're doing sixty k's an hour down a road in Kabul. Toyota Corolla, bang, right next to us. And he's like, right, I've got to get rid of this vehicle. So he starts yelling out, mate, f*** off. Yeah. And he's pointing and yelling. And the guy's just sitting there. Okay, step two, what do I do? And he goes, and he told me afterwards, I said, what was your decision-making process? And he said, well, when I yelled at him and he wouldn't leave, I thought I can't shoot him because that's – a bit of summary justice that might yeah, come yeah. back and bite me on the ass yeah. if there's just groceries in the back, yeah. right? It's too much. And he goes, even, and then he said, I thought about throwing a flare onto the bottom of the car, but he said even that he felt was a bit too much. Yep, okay. In the circumstances. So you know what he did? He yells out, water bottle. And the guy sitting down passes him up like a Mount Franklin. Yeah. And as hard as he could, he threw it onto the bonnet of the car and it just made this bang noise yeah. as it hit the bonnet of the car and then the car drove off. Yeah, wow. So, but all of that happened in his head in about two seconds. Yeah. Because he had no more time than that. To, and there was another one when we were driving on that same day, when we were driving up to Carga, the base, it was it had been snowing and we got to a gate and we had to stop, right? Again, you don't want to stop. And a guy, local Afghan dude, gets has a snowball in his hand and threatening to throw it at the vehicle. And you just hear the gunners out the top going, put the snowball down, <laughs> put the snowball down. <laughs> And they're yelling. It's hilarious, right? Listen to these guys. Put the snowball down. But in their heads, they have to make a decision. There could be a grenade in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And he could throw it at us. Yeah, yeah. So so you've got these guys aged in their 20s making critical fucking decisions. Do I shoot that guy? Yeah. And save 12 Australian lives? Yeah. Or maybe I shoot that guy and it's just a snowball. Yeah. I mean, you don't know the answer. So there's so much pressure on these guys 
to make really tough decisions in really short time frames. And that guy eventually, he just kind of dropped it on the ground and it was a snowball. Yeah. But no one knew that at the time. The one thing I remember happening to me in uh, Iraq, so they had, well, you had to shelter in place. So the Iraqis had learned to, and which they're doing a lot now in, the, in Ukraine, is they uh, send up a drone with a bomb attached to it. And so there was this unknown thing flying above the base. Oh, right. And so they'd be like, again, you know, get into a bomb shelter as soon as that goes up because the warning systems yeah. go off. But I was in the shower when all that happened. So there's all this, I could hear this ruckus outside. It sounded like someone was playing music over the thing, but it was saying, you know, shelter in place or whatever. So I yeah. come out of the shower block like I'm at a caravan park with just a towel around me. There's all these guys armed <laughs> to the teeth with your body armour and helmets and like, Adam, get the f- Undercover. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, good point. Rosie's battle ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The towel, wet yeah, hair. Yeah. <laughs> Toiletries back. <laughs> Got a toothbrush in my mouth. Okay. I'm going to throw toothpaste at him. But again, you know, that kind of stuff where it's just always on. Yeah, there's there's no escape. I did uh, had one in Tarrant where we were doing a show and they said we're getting uh, intelligence that there could be a bomb coming in. And we finished the show. We went into the bomb shelter. And did, there were no toilets in the bomb shelter, and we were there for ages, ages. And then finally, we get the release alarm. Yeah, goes, and I was standing right next to the door, and one of our troops goes, "There you go," because I've been talking to him about how much I was busting for piss. <laughs> and he opens the door, and I run out, and I go to the cubicle, and I have the longest piss ever. And then I'm walking back, and I don't see anyone walking around the base. I'm like, "Oh, what's going on?" And then I hear, "Lebo, Lebo." <laughs> Leave him. I'll go, what? He goes, it wasn't the release alarm. It was the further incoming threat alarm. And he got it wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he let me out. So, but imagine that if I'm having a, imagine dying in a port yeah, not. <laughs> I'd expect that of you. Of all the ways <laughs> to go, go. That's, that's the way. Can I tell you the worst thing about that? Good luck not laughing at that funeral. Yeah. Like, yeah. there'd be my poor mum all yeah, upset, yeah. and all she could hear behind her is snickering. <laughs> yeah, and go, yeah, comedians loving it. Yeah. So you have an appreciation, a lot of what they do, and then just chatting to them and just realising um, just how normal. Yeah. People they are and you yes. kind of get this massive sort of respect for what they do. And, you know, I don't agree with war, but um, someone's got to be out there doing that but, stuff. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're all doing their job. And that and the sacrifice comes in all different shapes and sizes. And you would have seen similar stories. You know, I one woman in particular I remember uh, I met in our base in UAE, mother of three kids under six. Yeah, wow. Right? Drives a truck she's in smart. the army. She's smart. <laughs> Genius. Uh, but she's away on deployment. Yeah. And she said, I can't even describe to you how much I miss my kids, but I, she said, I love this job and I feel compelled to serve my country. Yeah. So that's why I'm here doing this. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, good on you. Yeah. I don't know if I could do it. And that must, the pain of missing oh, kids, bro. three kids under six. Yeah. Everything. It must grind her every single night, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but she she does it for love of the job and yeah. love of her country. And that type of sacrifice, you just can't help but respect it. But also, imagine the imagine her husband sitting at home with three yeah. kids under six by himself, <laughs> even cursing her mate. There'd be some awkward phone calls there. Yeah, and he can't complain either. <laughs> she's over in a war zone. She's in a war zone. Yeah, there's not much you can say to that. Yeah, exactly. I was. Uh, New Year's Eve, 
in 2005 into 2006, girl I was seeing at the time, I rang home to speak to her and there's a huge queue for telephone booths. Yeah. We were in Qatar, right? Big queue for a huge American base there. And we were in the queue for telephones and I eventually got to the front of the queue. It took me about 45 minutes. And I rang her and she answered the phone. I said, hey, how you going? I'm calling from Qatar. She goes, oh, I'm a bit busy at the moment. Can you call back in 20 minutes? <laughs> like, are you joking me? No. No, I no, cannot. I cannot. I remember bringing my girlfriend when I was over there and she's like, oh, have you gone to Qatar? And I was like, don't, don't say anything. Oh, you yeah, know, Because yeah, it's yeah. all, you know, they don't, want, um, they don't want to let people know when movements of troops are happening, all that kind of stuff. So it's very high security. And she's like, well, how will I know? This is where before I'd left. She's like, well, how will I know if you're okay? And I said, well, if you hear nothing, then it's good. I said, I suppose if I die, I'll be, you know, you open up the Herald Sun to page three and I'll be there. And she just goes, you won't be on page three. <laughs> I'm getting more page 11 vibes <laughs> yeah, from you, yeah. Rosie. Yeah, next to the apology from Woolworths. <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, when you're over there, because the Americans are there, f*** you, eat well. Oh, yeah. Like Man. the American messes are incredible. Yeah, eat well and you shop well. Yes, you do, don't you? They've got – so not only do they have all your Maccas, Burger King, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff, their mess halls are just 24-7 food factories. Yeah. Unbelievable. And they'll have like uh, – so you've got like a machine that's just producing banana milkshake, but yeah. it's got like how many kilojoules it'll have and it's called warrior food and yeah. this is how long you can sustain, you know, this amount of output and how many kilojoules you require. It's just like mm. – it's shit food. And if you've travelled to America and you've seen, you know, what the average American looks like, mm. it's honestly not that different when you look at their troops. No, no, no. They, are, You know, when you go into a PX store, PX, it stands for post Postal Exchange? Postal Exchange, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's where they sell all their clothes and- uh, Supplements. Yeah, supplements and like flat screen TVs. You can yeah. buy almost anything. <laughs> it's like being in a weird Audi, right? Yeah. So yeah, they uh, they shop. So I used to love shopping over there. It was and they great, do, wasn't it? They do good merch as well. I've yes. still got, I've still got a few t-shirts at home. Uh, Who's your bag daddy? Yeah, great. Uh, from Baghdad, Classy. which I loved. Uh, and they've got there's a whole bunch of different. Remember uh, that base we were on in Baghdad? There was a colonel in the New Zealand Army. Remember he ran the marathon yes. in full kit. Yes. Around the circumference of the base. So it was like a five k loop. Yeah, and he did it. Eight and a half times. Yeah. But he made all his troops do it as well. Oh, did he? Yes. Yeah, overnight. Right. Okay. He said, I don't care how long it takes you. Yeah, you're all just doing get it done. It. Oh, they're over the moon about that. <laughs> the, the Kiwis. In summary, I think it's safe to say that when I started that first trip, mm -hmm. I, as I said, was quite ambivalent. Yep. But then my immediate respect and love for our troops just went through the roof almost overnight and it's just kept growing ever since. Yeah, I, the first gig I did when I went in country uh, was in uh, Kandahar yeah. and the appreciation that you get from the troops that you've oh, come over yeah. and the fact that you are giving them relief for you're switching them off for the two hours of the show or whatever and that is gold to them and yeah. just – yeah, you just have this deep-seated respect and, you know, when they say, do you want to come back, and now it's just like, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'll do it because I realise that you are giving them a moment in time that they can just, you know, escape. I had a guy say to me, it's the best compliment I ever received on any one of these trips. It was t March 2009 in Tarrant Yeah. And March 2009, if you look it up, was a really bad month for the Australians in Afghanistan. And we did a show and a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, he said, thank you so much. You 
for two hours, you took me back home to Australia. Yeah. And I needed the break. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like absolutely. the greatest compliment you can ever get. So, you know, for us, it's a little drop in the ocean, but it's really well appreciated. Yeah, and there's just that sense of pride from, you know, for yourself and yeah. for both of us of going over and then they give you um, – so they don't give you a medal, but they give you what is it, what do you call it, a coin? Yeah. And they give you that. And when I got my first one from Kandahar, it was just like I felt so proud and just so um, wrapped that I did this and was mm. able to provide that kind of level of escape for him. It was I, just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if you can help out Soldier on where you can and, um, yeah, they're doing a great thing with bringing people back and – and that's the one thing you do realise is when they come back, it's not easy to just slip back into society. You know, we've, we've trained them at a different level and they do need help. They need, they need help and, you know, every everyone, I think, who has seen combat mm. has some form of PTSD. Yeah. And PTSD isn't a thing that goes away. It's a thing that has to be managed. Yeah. So it's an ongoing battle. So it's not like, you know, a, a little bit of support here will fix the problem. It's an ongoing requirement and that's the commitment that, organisations like Soldier On yeah. have made. So continue to support the incredible work they do. Thanks, Lambs. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soldier On podcast. Soldier On is a not-for-profit veteran support organisation delivering a range of services to enable serving and ex-serving veterans and their families to thrive. If listening to today's podcast has brought up any personal concerns for yourself, a list of support services can be found in our show notes. The Soldier On podcast is produced by Smartfella Media, with special thanks to the team at Artsound FM in Canberra. I'm Hugh Rimmington. Thanks for listening. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. 